Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to We Got Balls. And today we have an interesting episode. As you've seen by the title, we're going to talk about what porn is the worst. And this kind of came up in the topic of conversation with Scott, myself, and a bunch of other guys who are listening to this podcast and uh, really talking about the the pieces of shame in their own porn searches and, and how they feel like that the things that they look at are absolutely, I mean, they're just de- deplorable. They're despicable, uh, disgusting. You know, you're a pervert for looking that up. You, have you ever felt that way, Scott? Is that, you know, people call you that name because of what's really going on inside of you, like your desires? Yes. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> I mean, look, we started this podcast to kind of drag shame kicking and screaming out of the closet of our lives and to model that for other men because it is shame that creates so much of the obsessive compulsive sexual behavior that you and i experience personally as well as you know we we see in the guys that we coach and so Mm. part of disarming shame's uh, you know really destructive power in our lives is to to bring it out into the open and to talk about it in a place where we feel safe, you know, you and I feel safe with each other and, and we can talk about these things and hopefully in modeling that with other guys, we can encourage people to get into a community where they can be seen, especially in those places where they feel so much shame in their lives. Yeah. So we started talking about this last week, I think, and like, what is the worst porn? What, what is the worst? I don't know. Porn? Let's see. Let's, let's go, let's go down the list. Cause we, I think we've got a, a pretty exhaustive list. I mean, there may be some things we're missing, um, but you know, a lot of it depends on your experience, you know, what, what happened in your life, what culture says, I mean, I can think, uh, you know, kind of one of the first answers we came up with was, was child porn. And, you know, um, there've been people like there was a, a friend of my dad's who was arrested for child porn, um, about five years ago and put in prison for really the rest of his life. Very sad story. And, you know, he lost all of his friends, like pretty much everybody just abandoned him because there's such a shame around that. And it's horrible. I mean, we're not promoting it. We don't encourage it. Um, But there is an arousal template for someone who wants to look at child porn. So I think maybe culturally that that may be the answer right now in our culture that says, you know, you look at this, you're going to jail for a long time. Yeah. What's what's the worst porn possible? I think. I think that's kind of related from a, from a cult. So we, we've talked about the difference between kind of guilt and shame. Guilt is yeah. I've done something wrong. Shame yeah. is there's something wrong with me. And when it comes to a category like uh, child pornography, I think it's really difficult for people to distinguish between that's an objectively uh, unhealthy, destructive behavior. And um, well, that's that's not a defining characteristic of whom I am people in society that becomes, you know, kind of this scarlet letter. You're, you're ostracized for that, uh, completely. And again, I just want to make a, I just want to make a point. I mean, if you're, um, if you're listening to the culture, 
you know, we, we like to draw things in much thicker markers these days, right? Uh, just a few years ago, Louis C.K. did a stand-up routine about a pedophile that grew up in his na- that, that was in his neighborhood when he grew up, and it was a joke, obviously. But it was this idea that you know we all grew up with that guy who would prey on children. Now, horrible thing. But back then, in those days, you know, this person was sick like a lot of people were sick. I think um, when we try to take it and we try to solve the problem by labeling, something is wrong with you if you look at this. There, You are a bad person if this is what you desire. What What we're really doing is we're cutting off people from humanity because, Scott, I mean, you can tell me I have my own suspicions, but when someone wants to look at child porn, what are they really looking for? Well, the, the research would say that a huge percentage of them, I think it is about 40% is what Kat, Patrick Carnes discovered is 40% are reenacting their childhood sexual abuse. Yes. So, so when you have a person that doesn't realize they're subconsciously reenacting the harm that was done to them, not excusing what they're doing, but not understanding what's driving their behavior, how do you really want to approach them? Do you want to vilify them and consider them to be uh, completely beyond redemption? And I, you know, we're Christians, so we're going to come at this from a Christian perspective. I don't think Jesus is going around going, ah, now I, I do think there's something in the gospel where Jesus talks about, you know, if you cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown in the sea. But he's talking about child porn. (laughs) He's referring to his people. He's not just referring to children there. But, but, you know, obviously child pornography is doing the, some of the greatest harm to the people that are least likely to defend themselves. So I think that's why we put it in that particular category. But what about the people that are doing it? A a number of them were abused. So what do you want to do with that kind of individual? Do you want to cut them off from any kind of help whatsoever? Yeah. And I think you do have to differentiate. And again, this is not a crime podcast, but, but um, there, there are repeat offenders. There are people who habitually, um, you know, with medication and treatment have not responded to what's going on. Those are not the people who are listening to this. Those are the people who are, are habitually acting out and, and have, are, are, are shameless and guiltless. We're talking to the, to the guys who this has been your struggle your whole life. And you have these desires. I would go one more piece of the arousal template on child porn, Scott, and say, really what people are looking for is they're looking for an experience of innocence that they that they never had. It was robbed from them, whether it was through abuse, sexual abuse, or some other kind of physical, emotional abuse. And they see in that child something that is good and innocent and consumable that they want to take, which is really when we're talking about porn, and we'll get to this in another episode, it's all objectification. I see something in an experience or a person or a physical body part, something that represents the goodness that I want to take and I need to take to feel okay. Yeah, and I think when people are using kind of regular adult porn, they try to justify it by saying, well, these are people that are actually doing this under their own free will. They're making Ooh. choices. You know, they are, they're, they're adults, but are they? Are they really? Are they emotionally making this? I mean, if you look at every single porn star, it may take them a decade or two, but when they get out of the business and you ask them, was it worth it? 
almost universally they say, no, um, I don't think I would do that again. I wouldn't recommend that another girl in my position do that because these are desperate people who are trying to make money the only way. I mean, it's it's being paid to use your body. And isn't the figure something like 80 percent of porn performers were sexually abused as children in the first place? Very high. And the, 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 the drug use is also there as well. So but we're not demonizing porn performers. Um, we're not we're not even demonizing porn itself. We're simply trying to point out the truth of what's going on because we want to be have some clarity about this. So so other than child porn, Scott, what are some of the things that really um, people struggle to talk about and admit when when they say, well, what you know, what's your arousal template? What kind of porn do you like to look at? Yeah. So when we when we were looking at the information for this particular episode, we used the book A Billion Wicked Thoughts. We've talked about that before. And these guys were two data scientists that got access to kind of the raw pipeline from Google search information as well as a, a meta search engine called Dogpile. So it aggregates search from a number of different search engines. So they were able to go in and actually look at sexually themed related searches that people were looking for. So you could kind of get to a, a, a ranking of, you know, here's what people are interested in. So we, we looked through that and, and came up with kind of our list of what's the worst possible porn based on where we know guys have felt a lot of shame over uh, their use of porn in these particular areas. So the, one of the top ones at the list would be kind of same sex or gay porn. So guys mm-hmm. that are watching other guys have sex seem to feel a lot of shame around that. And there's a lot of that kind of pornography that's searched for and actually watched. And I think that's that that shame is especially felt when people were from a religious background, uh, especially a conservative religious background where homosexuality was demonized as being a damnable offense and yet they found themselves sitting, listening to that and having these desires at the same time. That's right. So we've, we've done episodes on that and we'll, we'll continue to talk about that because that's a big category. Bestiality was a big category. I think it was in their top um, top 10 of searches. So people are looking for people having sex with animals. They feel a lot of shame about that. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've had the experience of coaching a number of guys who felt a lot of shame about the fact that when they were teenagers, they would put peanut butter on their penis and let their dog lick them to orgasm, for example. That is not an uncommon thing. No, it's not. And so when you look at the ways in which we don't experience, well, you know, it's kind of interesting because before we started recording, we're talking about me personally, I like to collect things. And we mm-hmm. started getting into, you know, you're like, oh, you got an arousal template story. <laughs> you're like, I don't know, but I'm looking at my collections over here. Yeah. And, and as I started to think about it, um, we, we started talking about why, why have I collected comic books, seashells? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, why do I collect information? Why do I I have this mind that just focuses on objects and it's because mm-hmm. I didn't feel a lot of connection in my home growing up. So it was yeah. easier for me to attach to objects. Yeah. It's just safer when they're not going to betray you. They're not going to hurt you. They're just there. But like I said, they're also impersonal. Yeah. And I think when you talk about bestiality, that that's really a, a good connection because it's a, it's a living being, but it's a, impersonal being you know it's a dog or it's a farm animal or 
whatever. In fact, by the way, just a little trivia. Do you know the true definition of the word tragedy in Greek? No. It's goat story. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Okay, then. Yep. So there were some people having some goat stories, and they were talking about it and calling it a tragedy in, in ancient Greece. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but when we trained with Jay uh, Stringer for the unwanted uh, guide training, yeah. I left to go to the bathroom one day and I left my microphone on and, and my dog started barking and somebody on yeah. the call said, oh, my bestiality is being triggered. And it was real funny. And then Jay, in his kind way, goes, you know, though we do have to be serious about this, some of our clients will find that the only comfort they had in their home was their animal. Yes, yes. Do you yes. remember him and saying? So, and, so, and, that, and that is a real piece. And again... There's compassion there because um, there was an experience of connection. It was not human connection, but it was an experience of connection and love that that aroused them. And so um, I think it's it's very important to acknowledge that that is a place of brokenness. And I, I, I like to use the word brokenness because it doesn't have the sting and shamefulness of sin. But, you know, just not working. You know, my life isn't working around this stuff. It's broken. Yep. And so um, I, I think when we talk about these, uh, these aspects of our porn searches, what we're really trying to do is trying to give you some grace, give you some kindness and say, there's reasons for this. And, so, be, and be curious about it. Don't, instead yeah. of beating yourself up and hating yourself for being aroused by this type of porn, ask the question, when did this come into my life? How is yep. this serving to make me feel alive when I was feeling really alone and dead inside? Mm. Um, the the so next, what's, cat- what's next? Next category is, uh, g- in general BDSM. So that stands for, uh, bondage, domination, sub- uh, sadomasochism, right. Yep. Or submission. And, yep. and so the themes around this, where I've seen a lot of shame personally, and I, I think you see it in just how it's portrayed in pornography is the submissive aspect. So yeah. you'll have, um, oh, we talked about that C. FMM, which is an acronym for clothed female nude male, is a, mm. is a major theme in porn searches. So the guy is being submissive to a female, maybe a dominatrix, who is mm-hmm. treating him, you know, with, with um, disgust, uh, humiliation. And, and guys have, the guys that watch that kind of porn feel a lot of shame about doing that. Another mm-hmm. category is uh, ball busting, where you're actually putting your testicles in some kind of device or contraption to hurt them um, yep. as you're engaged in the sexual experience. Um, yep. So, and, and 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 the CFNM is is really just a, uh, a, a an everyday form of domination because you're basically saying the woman deserves to have her dignity and you deserve to be humiliated by being naked, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. And then, you know, you would have the kind of the extreme forms of that would be spanking. Uh, the woman spanks you or you're tied up or things like that. And there there can be a lot of shame in that because, again, you don't understand where that's coming from. So when you don't understand your arousal and it seems random, your tendency is to just say, well, I'm a pervert. There's something about me that's really bad. Yeah. Instead of going, wait a second, how does this relate back to what I experienced growing up and connecting the dots between maybe abuse that you've suffered and then how you seek out connection and arousal uh, to try to reverse that or repeat that in some way. Mm. The next category, which is just kind of a catch-all category, is fetishes. So 
What is a we got a big group? Got a big group of things. It's you know, um, I get turned on when I eat peanut butter or um, when I smell lavender in the air. That's a fetish. Or maybe I like uh, pink feathers, pink pink feather pillows on the bed. That's a fetish. Is that what we're talking about? We're we talking about you know just silly little fun things like that, just playful, right? Just having a good time. Yeah. Well, yeah, anything could be a fetish. Okay. Yeah. But the but the big fetishes that really people search for are not quite so um, innocuous. They're just they're just not so innocuous. Yeah. Right? So a fetish is a sexual attraction or arousal around typically an object that's not associated with a visual cued sexual interest. So okay. um, you, know, you got to you got to say that in in, um, in fourth grade twenty first century language. So it's it's a it's a piece of clothing maybe or physical object or maybe personal uh, trait. I mean, you know, big boobs can be a fetish, right? It but, could be, yeah. And there is acute sexual interest, but typically, when you're talking about paraphilias, the the fetish category is things that aren't directly related to genitals or breasts. Let's okay. put it that way. So but the number one cued sexual interest in the fetish category is feet. Feet, baby. Okay. Yeah. So, so why would that be? I mean, I like a nice pair of feet. Why would that be shameful to to want to look at some feet? But do you do you fantasize about um, feet rubbing your penis or you licking uh, somebody's feet or and that's mm. how you get arousal? Not my flavor, but I could see how somebody <laughs> would want to go there. <laughs> but that's my that's my point. Is a okay. foot? What is a foot fetish about? And and there are there are guys that have foot fetishes. So by the way. The male brain is highly susceptible to fetishes, much more than the female brain. And it's the mm -hmm. same reason that the male brain is more susceptible to pornography. And that is because we're much we have a much higher de degree of our brain that's devoted to visual processing. And so mm -hmm. fetishes are objects that you see primarily or you touch. Mm -hmm. And that's why men are more susceptible to them. Um, men are more susceptible to ha having an object oriented relationship, as we just talked about, like I collect yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I yep. like objects. So men are more susceptible to turning objects into erotic uh, pieces of art, if you will. So mm -hmm. one of the big categories in terms of search, this is the 40th most searched term in terms of sexual interest uh, that the guys in A Billion Wicked Thoughts found was panties. So if you've been on TikTok or Facebook, you've seen the reel about a husband who goes to his wife and says, all right, baby. We got a problem. We can't pay our bills, but I got a plan. So all I want you to do is give me your used panties and don't ask any questions. And she goes, so I don't have to go to work. No, you don't have to go to work. Do I have to wash the panties? No, you definitely don't want to wash the panties. Please do not wash them. You don't wash the panties. Do you, uh, and, and we can get all our bills paid if I just give me your used panties. Will you buy me new panties? Yeah, I'll buy you new panties. All right. And that's that's the real is like is that, you know, they're acting out supplying this fetish because there are people, many people who they are aroused by the smell and just even go back to what that possibly could be. Maybe when you were young, maybe middle school and you you picked up a pair of women's underwear and you had that smell, that musty smell that just became very arousing to you. It's different. It's forbidden. And now it becomes an arousal template. Yep. Yep. And there are guys that have collections of used panties. Trust me. Mm -hmm.
on this one. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's like a, um, what besides the, the smell of kind of a woman's vagina on the panties, what is, what is that a marker? It's like a, it's like a trophy of my conquest, right? Yeah. So I'm keeping a memento of every woman that I've conquered. That's what that Mm. is about. Mm. Or um, in the case of cuckolding, which is another category where cuckolding is you're watching as another guy has sex with your wife. In that particular thing, it could be a trophy of every man that you've conquered. So I've got his wife's panties. Interesting. Um, pantyhose number 43. Ooh, Ooh, that's, that's a spicy one. Why do you say that? So I've heard a story. I'll tell you a story about a guy that I've, well, I didn't work with him. He was, he was a friend of mine, but he would talk about his mom walking around the house in bra and panties and pantyhose. And that's how she would, she would walk around the house when he was a boy. And, um, you know, mom had a lot of mental health issues and there was just really some sad stuff there, but in his development, that was where his arousal template was formed. And he, he loves the sight of pantyhose simply because it represents the nurture and care that he wanted from his mom, but really couldn't, she couldn't give him. And so he eroticizes that and and sexualizes that and, um, I mean, it's it's this very very much like the breast, very maternal, especially in the mid twentieth century um, piece of clothing that really invites care and the and the mothering nurturing aspect. Yeah, and in fact, lingerie is a big category just right below pantyhose. Yep. And you know, um, one of the one of the guys that um, we processed a story one time with, with told about how his father's wife, not his mom, but his stepmom would parade in the lingerie that her, that her, that uh, his dad had purchased for her in front of him as a teenager. Mm. And what's going on there is like the dad is intentionally trying to arouse his son using his wife to do that. Mm. What's going on there. So I think you have to be curious about when you hear these kinds of fetish themes is, Again, what kind of relational dynamics are being played out between the, the parent and the child in your home growing up? Like, I'm always looking for enmeshment of yep. some kind when you hear this, these kinds of themes around this. Yep. Um, yep. We already talked about feet. So there are uh, fetishes about licking another guy's feet or licking a woman's feet. And a, a lot of that, I think, plays out that submissive dynamic of... I'm willing to do anything to get your attention, even lick your feet. Yeah. Right. Now, interestingly, I think we talked about this before, but the, in the brain, we have a map of our bodies and where everything in our body is located in our brains and uh, the genitals, the map for where our genitals are is also linked to where our feet are. Okay. So there is a biological reason why feet are arousing and are linked to sexuality just in the way that our brains are wired and we understand where things are located on the human body. That's kind of an interesting uh, yeah. biological dynamic we'll, that we we'll didn't really it. talk about. So yeah, so we've got we've also got the category of incest, which actually, if, uh, as we were talking, is the highest ranking category. Now, I want to make a differentiation when we talk about incest porn 
Um, a lot of the popular porn out there right now is stepbrother, stepmother, stepsister kind of porn. Uh, and and while there's there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of shame around that because it's ubiquitous on the tube sites. Um, but what what really is is you know what about sister? What about cousin? What about mom? You know when you really have sexual thoughts about your biological family that definitely can ramp up the shameful dynamic in your arousal template. Well, I think there is a lot of shame around even the step sister, step mom porn. And it's a, it's a step removed from kind of the direct family relationship. And so I think a lot of guys sense that subconsciously that they're seeking mm -hmm. connection with, with a relative or a parent from what probably was a very disengaged home. And yet the only way they can safely get aroused by doing that is to remove it to a step relative versus their actual yeah. non-biological non relative. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, this, this theme is, um, it's really common and it's interesting because I was just reading in Peter Levine's book on healing sexual trauma that in our sexual development, there's a stage of uh, sexual development between five and you know seven or eight years of age where usually a little boy will he'll role play falling in love with his mom and sure. he'll draw little pictures and go here mommy i love you and i want to marry you and you know we can have babies together and everything and a healthy parent recognizes that there's nothing sexual about the child doing that that they're just modeling they're practicing what it might be like to be in love yeah. with an opposite sex partner, right? When you said this in a previous episode, you're just like, oh, mom, I want to love you. I want to marry you someday. And the mom says, oh, that's so sweet. One day you're going to find a beautiful woman that you can marry. And I really I really feel honored that you think I'm that pretty. And, you know, it's it's the accepting while also redirecting the desires of the child to help them individuate down the road. That's right. But if you're if your parent is unhealthy, if they perhaps were sexually abused themselves, that particular kind of role playing might disturb them. And yeah. it might arouse yeah. feelings in them that they don't know what to deal with. And so instead right. of welcoming that kind, you know, the, the, the role play and what the little child's trying to do, they reject the child. And now suddenly yeah. there's a rupture in the relationship because the little boy was trying to love his mom and she's rejecting him because yeah. there's something about it that feels awkward and incestuous or wrong, or wrong. Or shameful yeah so that's going to do damage and i think that that could be one example of how a guy tries to work that out in the sexual fantasy within incest type porn the other the other stage of sexual development is where problems can arise is when the child does go into puberty and the parent starts to see them as a younger version of the husband that they marry, mm. Mm. only more, maybe more attractive, more virile, mm -hmm. more more uh, powerful, and they begin to yeah. experience yeah. arousal towards their own child, and sometimes yeah. maybe even act that out. And so, yeah. all these different scenarios in the family dynamic can crop up around trauma that has been unprocessed or unrealized. And I think you see it clearly in in incest porn in particular because it's it's really a cry for um, I want more connection in my family. That's what it yeah, is. It is. 
So we, we, we've hit on trans before. If you haven't heard about that, check out the trans episode. Um, obviously there's a lot in that gender identity and, uh, mother, father wounding and all that there. Um, one of the, one of the other pieces that we really haven't touched much on is this idea of voyeur is, you know, um, and not just being a voyeur someone. And I think upskirting is on the list. I think number 46 or so yep. on the list, uh, and, and anonymous sex, uh, hookups. And so there's, there's a lot of shame, maybe not necessarily about the, the looking up the porn of that, but the acting out of that, making that porn in real life. There's a whole category of having sex with somebody while they're asleep. I don't know where you put that voyeuristically, but, but yeah, so the voyeurism part, and we have to go back to kind of child porn in this discussion. There are some sexual behaviors that are illegal. And so child porn is one of those. Um, voyeurism where you're taking video or photos of people in any state of undress and posting those online is a violation of a person's personal rights and is a crime. Um, Just the taking of the pictures himself is illegal. Right. And posting them online is a whole nother step of illegality. So I think, you know, and, and, and again, we're compassionate to people who are in that place but we also understand that part of the 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 arousal is in the risk of it. That's right. So that that's a big category. Those kinds of things that are like secret camera recordings and things like that. And then the the last thing I wanted to talk about because this is one of those categories that seems really squishy to people. Like it's it's gross and it makes everybody uncomfortable. And that is uh, water sports, which is thirty five in terms of the search. What is water sports? Things like golden showers. Yeah. Getting peed on to get aroused. Getting yes. peed on to get aroused. And where does that come from? Again, usually in somebody's background, you'll find tales of them being tremendously sexually abused, where that particular activity was part of a humiliation, almost ritualistic and sometimes mm-hmm. actual ritualistic sexual abuse behavior. And it's part of breaking a person down and dehumanizing them. And I wanted to read something about arousal templates from Patrick Carnes's um, workbook called uh, Facing the Shadows, because it, it really tells this story of how sad kind of some of these very fetishy or very um, worst kind of porn categories can get developed in a person's life. So he talks about uh, as objects, situations and scenarios become eroticized, so do the feelings that accompany them. Many psychological experiments have consistently shown that people were viewed as more attractive when the subjects perceived fear or risk either to themselves or to that person. Mm. Fear and risk is a well-documented neurochemical escalator of the sexual experience because that's the neurochemicals of noradrenaline and cortisol, and they Mm. heighten sexual arousal. So is pain. Mm. Many female victims of uh, violent childhood sexual abuse report that as adults, they are unable to be orgasmic unless their male partner is hurting them. Many traumatized female clients have told me that they could not even masturbate unless they put astringent or abrasive materials in their vagina. They simply could not stimulate themselves without the pain. And this is the, this is the sad story here. If, as if that wasn't sad enough. Consider yeah, this- just, to, just to put a pin in that. I mean, we didn't talk about rape, but that definitely is one of those um, shameful arousal template dynamics. And he's talking about that a little bit. In, yeah. And, in and that, a, a that, is, abuse. Yeah. That, that was a highly searched for category too. Yeah. Consider the successful scientist who told of a violent childhood. 
He can remember his father battering his mother so badly that he heard her body hit the wall in the next room. Mm. Just get that picture. Mm. He would masturbate to comfort himself in his anxiety. Mm. Mm. He also had a problem wetting the bed and defecating in his night clothes until he was six. Mm. As an adult, he found fear erotic, any kind of fear. He would compulsively seek high-risk sex. Even his own feces and urine were highly arousing to him. Mm. To use the clinical term, coprophilia hardly captures the full picture of what happened to this man. Behind what many would call perverse behavior is a severely traumatized child. Absolutely. Mm. My heart goes out. And that's kind of where we leave this category of worst porn today is I have a lot of tears and tenderness in my heart over people that are really struggling with this tremendous sense of shame and self-contempt around what it is that arouses them. Because at the end of the day, Chris, the worst kind of porn is the one that you feel most ashamed about. Yes. 100%. And so as we sit and as you listen, and I'm sure thoughts are going through your mind as you just engage with us in this conversation, what are the parts of your arousal template of your porn searches that you're so desperately wanting to be done with? I've heard it phrased like this. I hate myself when I look at this, this thing. I hate myself. And we don't want you to hate yourself. We care deeply about you and want you to be free from the shame that has unfortunately been carried with you for most of your life. And so our invitation, like, like always, is curiosity and deep, deep compassion. And even a good bit of grief. I mean, you see it in Scott's face. I have it in my heart. These are sad experiences that we want to, we would love to take them off the face of the earth, but they're just, they're not happening yet. But we want to continue to help people um, push into the dark places, shine the light compassionately so that the stories can be told, the hugs can be given, the tears can be shed, and we can begin to heal. And you know, when we talk about recovery, yeah. what are we talking about? We're talking about recovering the authentic self. Exactly. The person that God created you to be, to enjoy sex and to feel free and joy and delight in it. And that's our invitation to you. That beautiful human being that is still trying to come forth. And we welcome him or her. And we want to be with you. So if we can help you in any way, reach out to us. In notes, show notes, have all the contact information. We'll be back with you again next week on We Got Balls. And so do you. Take care, guys. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.